Taylor. And we're the Barclays. This is our podcast about culture, politics, our thoughts on media, all of the above. And Christianity. And Christianity. <laughs> I forgot that category. <laughs> it just is like the air we breathe. <laughs> mm, yes. <laughs> Um, and we are back this week after a week long vacation. We went out to see our family and our college roommate in Nashville, Tennessee. The longest road trip we've ever taken as a family. Yes. It was a great success. It was. We consumed lots of podcasts and, um, yeah, made it back in one piece. Hudson did great on his road trip. And now here we are back at it and this week we are going to take on the topic of big tech with a capital b capital t that's right that's right you can't just say tech anymore it has to be big tech and uh <laughs> this this comes off the heels menacingly too <laughs> yeah big tech. <laughs> anything big is bad that's right referring back to our other podcast yeah that's right the bigs yep but this time we're going to talk about, you know, when, when we say big tech, we think about um, companies like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, mm-hmm. Google. Those are the kind of big. Yes. Big the people four. often leave out Microsoft. Right. We never talk about Microsoft. Which is, you know, give those PR people a raise <laughs> because it often will trade places, I think, with Apple for largest market cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're the OG like, big tech. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're talking like $1.3 trillion these companies are worth. And, and predated go, them. Yeah. Facebook just hit uh, one over $1 trillion market wow. capitalization. So this is like what it's worth, I guess, in the stock market valuation. And um, But yeah, Microsoft is often left out of this. Be- <laughs> I think because it's, there isn't, it's, so in the 90s, it was, of course, very consumer-facing. If you had a computer, like you likely had a PC that was running Windows, so... Microsoft Microsoft was in your face every day. Now, it's not as much because mm. they're making most of their money off of uh, cloud services, uh, enterprise software. You know, they're licensing the Office mm. products that you know just aren't that exciting, and we don't consider they're not controlling or you know influencing or a part of like the communications and information streams. Yeah, no one's like every day. Microsoft, PowerPoint, and Excel are rotting <laughs> our brains. <laughs> Right, 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 right. But they did have their moment with the eye of Sauron upon them yes, in the 90s. in the 90s, yeah. um, which is a whole nother story about how big tech takes on Washington or doesn't, which mm-hmm. um, is not the topic for today. So the topic for today, you know, we kind of thought we'd talk about this because um, in the House of Representatives, there was a package of bills introduced to, quote, break up big tech, the monopoly that big tech has. And mm-hmm. there's been a lot of controversy. There's kind of a split in the Republican Party. Some Republicans support these bills. Some don't. Some really oppose them. Um, it seems like most of the Democrats mm-hmm. kind of support I them. I think there is a split. Yeah. California Democrats are being a little persnickety. They, right. So, so like the... But by by and large. Yeah, more maybe more so than Republicans, but even it's not like a clear... Right unanimity but it looks like uh it's not gonna get anywhere anytime soon democratic leadership was like yeah we're gonna put the brakes on this for a (laughs) while and additionally there were some lawsuits um that said a lawsuit recently that said uh facebook is actually not a monopoly Yeah, Uh, a judge's ruling 
Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or opinion, or I don't know opinion the technical on a term. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not lawyers. We are not lawyers. <laughs> um, so Can't emphasize kind of, that enough. <laughs> yeah. Don't look to us for legal <laughs> thoughts on this. We're talking about more the cultural side of this. So right. everyone seems to be kind of worried about big tech. You know, should we, is it too... Is big tech too big? Should we break them up? What is it doing to children? What is it doing to our brains? Mm -hmm. Is it good on a net for society? Is it destroying democracy? These are the questions. So, um, Taylor, what do you think (laughs) about all the consternation about big tech recently? uh, How to sum it up. I take the position that big tech is a net positive for society. I think... American society and I think even the globe I think it's been net positive positive. and when we're saying big tech I'm talking all the including Microsoft <laughs> whoever happens to be in the chair at the moment you know you will if anyone's listening to this podcast 10 years from now it'll probably be different companies mm-hmm. in those uh, that the, even the term may we may have lost it uh, and they, they all, and you have to kind of parse it out too. And you know, there are some negative things that do happen. Um, and you kind of have to, whatever the issue is of the week. I think there's a lot of also because the, there's a spotlight put on them. I think there is some unreasonable unreasonableness in terms of say, so Amazon. This comes with Amazon a lot. Uh, you know, we talked earlier about mistreatment of workers. And these stories about delivery drivers having to urinate in bottles because the strictures were so intense, they had to make so many deliveries. And there's a one commentator I follow said, "Well, like Amazon employs, I think it's now over a million people globally. Wow! wow. Like you're gonna find people who have bad experiences hmm. in a company of that size, like no matter what." And I think there's just something to keep in mind. I think there is sort of this, that's what I mean by unreasonableness. I think the standards are a little fantastic for these companies. Uh, hmm. It's not to say that they aren't without missteps, but I think we also, uh, we often ignore just the quality of life increases that they hmm. provide for very cheap. Uh, you know, think of, of YouTube hmm. uh, for exchange of seconds of my time. I can, watch pretty much anything hmm. <laughs> right and which has a dark side too does it <laughs> rachel <laughs> what what do you want me to say to that <laughs> <laughs> i mean so what do you what do we elaborate is what i want you to say oh okay so on <laughs> so the the good side i think you're saying is like you could go on youtube right now and like learn sp- Spanish or teach yourself how to make paella. I don't know why I'm on a Spanish kick. Um, <laughs> or how to like, it, I've done this with like repairing a toilet or a car part exactly. or like a specific washing machine made in, you know, 2004, you know, model a, right. There will be, and it's just a miracle. I don't know why it happens, but there is some person out there who decided to devote half an afternoon to recording them fixing a very specific thing. It's just amazing. So that's but, the bright side. But the dark side is because it is so easy and so attractive to our brains, right? You pull up one video, let's say, to fix the toilet, but then suddenly you're going down this rabbit hole of what YouTube is suggesting you to watch of like, 
I don't know, people singing silly songs or explaining conspiracy theories or, um, you know, things like that that are just like... Everyone has gone down the rabbit hole of one YouTube video leading to 50 YouTube videos. And suddenly there's two hours of your day gone and you just kind of mindlessly went down this rabbit hole that happens on, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, etc. I I think Mm -hmm. it's it's hard to deny that these platforms are kind of like brain candy that... Sure, you should have self-control to only eat one mm-hmm. piece of candy. But let's be honest, most of us don't. And we're becoming, our brains are becoming uh, diabetic from <laughs> the overload of brain sugar. Right, or we're becoming dopamine addicts. Right, exactly. I see something new and it fires the dopamine ding, ding, hormone ding. and I get hooked on that. So this is, uh, I'm glad you brought this up because this is a common critique and rejoinder and it's sort of just in the air, right? Like if you say, say we just said, I think there's some truth to it. I'm not, uh, but I like what near Eyal, who's one of my favorite authors and thinkers on this subject. Uh, he wrote a great book in 2019 called indistractable. Lots of great tips for how to manage screen time and, you know, algorithmic suggestions and like how what he said in a debate with Ezra Klein, like, well, like, what do we want? Do we want these products to not be appealing? <laughs> like, do we then, do we not want Instagram to service ads that are tailored exactly to our interests? Or you know, the TikTok operates off of this. Hmm. It curates videos, and after a time of like gauging how long you're looking at a video, it'll start feeding you more that match that based on their mm. their software selection. So instead of this is like a difference in products like Facebook and like Twitter. You have to curate it as the user. Like who do I want to follow and what, what do I want to do? But TikTok, you, you just open the product and start using it. And it does that for you through its software. But like, do we not want that world? Yeah, it's tough, right? Cause it's like, okay, this is, you know, I think I remember, I'm trying to think of how old we were when, the big McDonald's scare was happening, right? When, what, what was that The book? Super Size Me. Super Size Me and Fast Food Nation and <laughs> oh, all of that, I, I right? Love, and you know how I love Fast Food Nation. <laughs> that like blew my mind when I was 14. And I think it was supposed to like turn me against fast food, but I like loved fast food after it. <laughs> it got me, got me fascinated in like reading nonfiction. It got me fascinated with fast food. And to this day, as you know, Rachel, I love the fast food industry. Did I tell you the other day when I was sitting in Burger King with Hudson? It's like, oh, it'd be fun to work at Burger King corporate someday. (laughs) You are a big proponent. They would be lucky to have you. Um, (laughs) You know, it's funny, listeners. Anyway. (laughs) uh, Here you are out there. You all thought, wow, Rachel and Taylor, they are just the ultimate couple. They have so much in common. (laughs) I think that this podcast might get to our handful of differences. (laughs) So anyway, yeah. The, so the, your thought on McDonald's, fast food nation, all of that was like, this is awesome. But I think at there the, was the scare. Yeah. The time, the cultural thing was like, they are making fries. Like they've perfected the amount of, you know, fat and salt. Do you not want that? Tricks ourselves into like eating way too many. Like you're eating the super size because they have perfected right. the formula that tricks our brains into eating more. Uh-huh. And on the one hand, right. 
do you want to be like, actually, you should make a grosser tasting food so we don't eat too much of it and become, you know, have health risks mm-hmm. with obesity. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, to your point, you're like, well, no, you don't want them to make a product that you we don't enjoy. Um, and it's up to us, the consumer, to, you know, have self-control and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, you know, it's bearing out that we don't have that self-control and um, those limits are hard to set when, you know, you trick your brain or your taste buds or whatever into wanting more. And I think this is the the question is, does the responsibility lay with these companies that are producing these great products that are Mm -hmm. so great that we can't say no, or does it lie with the consumer? It, us the consumer to set our own limits Mm -hmm. so does do these companies bear any responsibility to help us set limits i mean we're i think i think of this too these these discussions often take place in this maybe sense of like static like this is the way it's going to look from here until eternity's end or whatever like but we're only so the smartphone was essentially introduced with the iphone in 2007 uh, I think, and then Facebook became a mobile app shortly thereafter. So we're kind of like talking about these products and these services, big tech, since 2007. So we're still early days in this experiment. Things are still brand new. Think of the internet, even like early 90s, like 1993-ish, it became more popular. We're still figuring it out. And I think there's some match between, and people, and I'm trying to learn more about this, but like the advent of the printing press hmm. in, you know, 1453 and, you know, then Reformation happened in the early 1500s. Cultures, people had to figure out what to do with all this new cheap information. Hmm. So now all of a sudden, like in the case of, you know, 1400s to 1500s printing press time, uh, knowledge went from rain and ad, you know, uh, uh, what specialty of a few people, the church, universities, scholars who could afford them, and maybe you had like one or two books in your home as a like a lay person, common person, to all of a sudden like libraries were available mm-hmm. and pamphlets were cheap to produce. And there was about 150 years of culture figuring out how do we exchange ideas peacefully in this right. in, milieu. In other words, there were bloody wars. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, the people have, like, said, I don't show me the evidence that, like, that led to the war. People have been, like, Europe is always fighting wars. It's, like, it's a miracle that it's been 70 years since Europe has true, had a war. True, so, But there were, like, it, it sparked religious division, which yes. resulted in wars. And, and, you know, we would say that this disbursement of knowledge and this advancement, even though, the, you know, any loss of life is terrible, yes. it was worth it to have knowledge in the hands of lay people yeah or yeah yeah worth it might be i don't know because it, that's it's a high price but like which world do we want to live in that's what i mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right 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 like the trade-off of and that and that's kind of the trade-off i mean not wars hopefully but the trade-off that we face right of um is having you know more technology means more leisure time, more um, knowledge in the hands of everyday people rather than just the elite, right? Right. You know, everyone talks about this, like, oh, the death of local newspapers. Well, 
that you know local newspapers was still like the, the handful of gatekeepers even if they were local gatekeepers yep. and now that's dispersed and it is leading to conspiracy theories mistruths disinformation misinformation on the internet because we don't have the just gatekeeper newspapers anymore but do we want to go back to a past where you didn't have this dispersed information readily available right you know like a, a pre-internet news environment well yeah, and there's also this veneration of local news is like this is the way the world is best and it's like we have to preserve it at all costs no matter the cost when it's you know a narrow slice of human history how do we would consider local news as a thing and maybe you could say you know it's more prosperous because of that or it was a condition of it whatever um but now we're to a point where like power has been equalized in a sense and maybe we're back to like more of a village sort of sharing of news and i don't i don't mm. think I, I i don't think i agree with you know there's been net increase in conspiracy theory or misinformation really yeah so i mean one of the interesting things looking at like say the 2016 20 i think i forget the time period, but around there 2016 news period the scholar yokai benkler i think he's at harvard more misinformation was shared by mainstream we consider mainstream news hmm. than say like a random website or like internet troll because hmm. what would often happen is you know in this press to do like 24-hour cable news content they're pulling things from online media hmm. or like social media or whatever and then like magnifying that hmm. on tv or even in newspapers right so it's not like you know mainstream news sites or companies are bulwarks against misinformation or disinformation. Hmm. Uh, often they're exacerbating it, and I, you know it, it's how can we like are we just seeing it more? Like it's easier to measure. Two hundred years ago, how do you measure measure misinformation when most people are communicating orally or in private letters true, or true. whatever? And just aren't as educated, frankly. Right, right, right. <laughs> like now, edu- because of technology, education levels have gone way, way up. Mm-hmm. We have access to way more information and entertainment. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I don't really know what the baseline is. It just feels yeah, that way. Right. Uh, and I get that, like, because it's, it's easier to see now. Right. Um, and before we end, I do want to recommend an essay from Mark Andreessen that came out recently. Who's uh, Mark Andreessen? He started, and uh, he and his uh, co-founder, it's a venture capital firm in uh, California, Andreessen Horowitz, Mark Andreessen, Ben Horowitz. They invest, he, Mark Andreessen invented like the first web browser, Netscape. Um, and anyway, he wrote this essay recently on technology saved the world, especially with COVID-19. We had access to like infinite inver- entertainment confined to our homes. We had access to work. Well, a lot of people at least had access to work. Uh, and then the internet enabled rapid information sharing where we thought it might take four years to develop, develop a vaccine and hmm. it was developed under a year, hmm. shattering previous records. You know, within 24 hours of the vaccine's identification, pe- scientists were sharing online the genomic sequence. Hmm. I think a lot of this is made possible because of big tech investments hmm. and the services they provide. You mean Bill Gates' microchip in your eye? <laughs> I love that tweet about, I think it was like the first woman to get injected in England, elderly woman. And someone tweeted like, I wonder what Bill Gates is going to do with his first, his first day controlling <laughs> Mrs. <laughs> Smith or whatever. <laughs> but uh, not that. I don't believe that's the thing. Um, so, but otherwise, like technology has saved the world. 
Yes. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things that I think my gut reaction is like, things were better when you had to write things with a pencil or whatever. <laughs> but in reality, I love my Amazon grocery delivery. Yeah. I probably communicated with 20 people on social media today. Wow. You know, it it just has broadened um, the number of people we can stay in touch with at a given time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I could go on and on about like today, what we're all, it'd be interesting to list out what were all of the things that big tech affected in your day that actually probably made it better to think about yes. it that way. So I think the reality is that I could look at my life and say, oh, it's provided all of this good. But my gut reaction is this, you know, uh, what what are we losing with it? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, instead of loss, I you like the word change. Like things change. Mm-hmm. And also when, you know, we're thinking about these things, you know, think compared to what. And, I, yep. you know, you talking about it, like 20 people today. That's amazing. The average letter that people wrote in America throughout history, I think it like uh, – it's like peak letter writing in the 1880s. I, I think I have to double check this fact, but it's like it was like two a year hmm. for the average person. Wow! It wasn't. Wow! I think people have this like rosy. Everyone picture was of, writing letters all day. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> you know, like Victorian literature status of you know correspondence, you know, with you know, yeah, 20 people. But no, it was more like two. Right. Uh, right. A year. Right. Um, it was, you know, took a lot of time, cost prohibitive, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Um, no, that's really interesting. And I, I will say a plug for this other podcast I was listening to. Laura Tremaine wrote a book, 10 Things to Tell You. I think that's the name of her podcast too. And she uses social media and her platform. She's, hmm. you know, she's like an influencer with a bunch of followers to bring about vulnerability and kind of ask these like 10 things to tell you. I'm going to tell you these 10 things and I want you to tell me these 10 things about what you're doing this summer or hmm. what you're thinking about this or, you know. Uh, whatnot and her thing is kind of like bringing vulnerability and sharing to social media and she says something really good you know instead of having this outlook of oh all these things social media is doing to me you know making me Hmm. feel jealous or angry whatever um to kind of go out of your way and start commenting and liking on on Hmm. other people's posts encouraging them and, and that kind of vibe just kind of builds on itself and i really i've decided to start doing that more instead of just like seeing someone's picture and thinking like that looks like a fun vacation no i should tell them that on there and like instead of griping about the internet <laughs> ecosystem yeah take part in and be a part of the internet ecosystem and culture that you want to create that's great advice and uh, studies actually back that up mm-hmm. i think uh People feel better when they're participants yep. in social media platforms instead of just passive, you know, lurkers or scrollers. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, should we transition? Yeah, probably. Stinkers and thinkers. Get very excited about this topic. I know. We, we talk about this a lot in our house. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Uh, what is your stinker? My stinker this week. Sorry, guys. There is a big thunderstorm outside, so we're getting these, like, emergency alerts. Um <laughs> It's not an emergency. It's just a lot of rain. My stinker this week is actually one of Taylor's in previous weeks. I finished uh, John Boehner's biography Uh. on the house. 
And man, it could have been so good. He has so many great stories and I agree with so many things and, you know, worked on the Hill during the end of his time and witnessed a lot of this. So for me, going back to some of these policy battles um, was fun and interesting. But he's kind of condescending a little bit and he talks about a lot about like stuff on the golf course and I feel like his life has so many interesting points and there's so many points of his career to dwell on and um, Mm. the tone of it just isn't isn't quite there. Mm. Yeah, it was a disappointment. I think My Stinker is another book. You and I read it recently. Yuval Levin's A Time to Build. (gasps) No, Rachel, you're a super fan. And that I quote his thesis all the right. time, which, which is, is. <laughs> which is that <laughs> our institutions, churches, Congress, schools, etc., have become uh, plat- uh, performative platforms rather than character building yes. institutions. Which is great. That is definitely not the stinker part. The stinker is like the book itself. I think it was just. Give me an essay where you explain that. And I think a lot of it was, it was written, I think, in 2017, right? And a lot of it just seemed like it wasn't new, maybe. And I can't tell if that's because mm-hmm. all his ideas are just so like mainstream in We've our little bubble. we talked about it so much. Right. But it just felt super wordy. And then at the end, the solutions were really lacking, I thought. Um, and yeah. It was just a little wordy, I thought. Too wordy. Yeah. Anyway, it was just, uh, great ideas. I just, the book itself was not what I hoped it would be. Yeah. We listened to an audiobook together and we love the premise and the, he sets up the problem well. Mm-hmm. Just need some solutions. Land which, the plane, you all. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are the practical solutions? Other than just do more in institutions. Yeah. It was kind of <laughs> like do more as an individual. But anyway thinkers thinkers so my thinker this week is the i think he will end up being one of the all-time greats lin-manuel miranda's in the heights oh i really just love it it was good i i love a good musical no matter what (laughs) and um this one was especially good. All the characters, the storyline, the music, Mm -hmm. the dancing is phenomenal. Um, kind of, Brought me back to my, I don't know, youth of watching like Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights, and Step Up. Those are all like the popular <laughs> dancing musicals in my youth. So maybe that's why I like it so much. It was a good movie. Nuanced, too, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, my thinker is from April, actually. Uh, our, our friend, your brother's friend, colleague, Josh Gilligan, his new music Ocala Florida representing Uh, if you're out there Josh thanks for listening really like your track go around Mm -hmm. particularly in the EP it's on so go check out Josh Gilligan go around and the new music he's making it's really good it is thanks for listening to our podcast see you next time